Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Macaulay Tucker Show. I'm your host, Macaulay Tucker, and today is a very special episode. Uh, this will probably be my favorite uh, recording uh, this year. Today we have Mark Walton. Mark Walton is an American story artist and uh, voice actor as well. He's worked with on numerous films uh, with many companies, you know, Walt Disney Animation Studios, DreamWorks, Blue Sky, several more. Um, he's also a teacher as well, and, you know, he's worked in different positions on uh, multiple different projects. And so today on the show, we're just going to be talking to him, you know, hear his stories and, you know, learn more about what it's like working in, you know, this industry and having experience working in this industry. And maybe later on, he can also pass on some information uh, to us, the li- uh, to you guys, the listeners, so you guys can maybe uh, learn and apply some things to your life. First off, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Macaulay. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate uh, you taking time out of your uh, busy life to come onto the show and talk. Um, so yeah, kind of to start off this, you you uh, you've had a crazy life. Like you've worked on so <laughs> many things. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been an interesting journey for sure. You know, um, I uh, it, you know it's funny because when I was your age. Uh, McCall, I, I don't mean to, uh, you know, do some ageism here, but, you know, I, I was not a, I was not doing a professional uh, podcast or networking with people or, you know, producing concerts or songs or anything like that. I, I just had really vague dreams and ideas of what I'd like to do someday. You know, I thought uh, I was, uh, I loved, I loved drawing. I think I always loved drawing since I was a little kid. And I, I thought that maybe someday I would do something with that. Although I had really no concrete idea of what I thought maybe I could be a cartoonist, you know, a newspaper when there was newspapers, you know, that printed comic strips and then, you know, I thought maybe I could be a book illustrator and some of my favorite artists. That's what they did. I, I, I liked the Muppets. I thought maybe I could get to work for Jim Henson somehow, you know, designing puppets or being a Muppeteer, uh, whether I actually had any talent or not, or doing something with industrial light magic, you know, they did all the, the special effects for Star Wars and Indiana Jones and, you know, a, a hundred, hundreds of other movies, you know, uh, at, at the time. Uh, and it wasn't until I was getting out of college, you know, in my late twenties that I got the opportunity. Uh, it was a friend of mine who said, Hey, the Disney studios is doing an internship and you should apply. And I thought, well, what are the chances that a nobody in the middle of nowhere is going to get a job like that for everybody in the dog wants to work for Disney. Uh, and I didn't have any training, you know, in animation per se. I just had the vaguest idea of how the movies were made. I loved Disney. I loved animation, you know, but I, I think astronauts are cool too. That doesn't mean I, I have anything, any qualifications, you know, to be a, to be an astronaut. But, uh, but you know, I, what I did is I, I, I took a bunch of assi- art assignments that I had done. Uh, I pursued a, a, a degree in illustration because that covered a lot of things that I was kind of interested in. Um, and, and, and I sent in like sk- pages out of my sketch pads. I did do me and uh, my brother were, who, who I was uh, rooming with at the time and a bunch of illustration friends had just for fun done a, was like a two or three minutes uh, uh, hand-drawn film on 16 millimeter film that we just drawn on paper. You know, none of us knew what we were 
oh yeah, none of us knew what we were doing. And some of the timing is terrible, you know, and uh, that it turned out at all is kind of a miracle. But I, I, I thought, well, this is animation I've done, so I turned that in. And, and what I didn't know is that the, the timing was kind of perfect for me because uh, just before I applied for this internship, uh, the Lion King had made like a billion dollars worldwide, you know, and Disney, who was only ma was making a movie like every one to every two to three years, was looking to to increase their output to, you know, at least one, maybe two movies a year. Uh, and, and, you know, they were, and, you know, just after that, you know, Pixar was going to come start making movies in, in partnership with them. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Katzberg had just left the company to form DreamWorks and had taken a lot of the artists with them, with him. And so there was this desire to like grab people out of college that could draw well enough. You know, they, they could teach how to animate so that they could, you know, start making many more movies, you know, make and, and get some of this money, you know, like it, it had been like uh, The Little Mermaid and then uh, Beauty and the Beast and then Aladdin and then the Lion King just like make one, make more and more money after right after the other. It's like, come on, we need, we need to feed the machine. And so right when I applied, uh they said oh you okay good enough come on board you know and they they pulled me into this internship and i didn't know about storyboarding or animation and they let us try our hands at like all the different phases of production uh and it was just i mean i i don't want to bore you with every detail of the story but you know um i i i, I got to try my hand at storyboarding right as i was getting done with the internship there was a a, a tour that uh, a tour opportunity they were doing these mall tours at the time where they would uh take artists uh sometimes all over the country sometimes all over europe they've just done one uh was it pocahontas i think they, they went to europe uh and would go to malls or or you know different different uh you know gathering places around and uh talk about disney they would hype the current movie that was about to come out they would drop you know they would have people that didn't actually always work for Disney, but they could draw the Disney characters competently and answer answer questions. And so that was me. I, you know, I uh, I was brought in as as a backup person. There were two people that they preferred for this job, but they thought, well, Mark's pretty good, and all the other people in his internship they're they're more interested in becoming in betweeners and Hunchback of Notre Dame. Whereas I went out and promoted the film and acted as if I was working you know, on the movie or had worked on movies before and I, and I do storyboards and through that I was, I mean, that was just a great experience in and of itself, but, but through that I was able to meet uh, Kevin Harkey, who's one of the best story artists in the, in the world. And he took me on after the tour was over as his apprentice in California, working on Tarzan. And I was just kind of able to hang on project after project for about 14 years at Disney on, on, on different films from there. And, uh, you know, lucky me, it was just like one, it, one amazing lucky stepping stone kind of appeared in front of my feet after another. And I was, you know, all I had to do was kind of step forward and not extend a whole lot of effort and, and hang on, you know, and uh, it worked out pretty well for me. That's crazy. Yeah, that, that must have been a really awesome opportunity for you, you know, getting this job. And, you know, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, when you were young, you, you would draw a lot. And I was kind of curious to ask about that. Like, um, when I was younger, I used to like, uh, when I would sit on my grandma's backyard, and I would like, 
have a sign that would say like you know two dollars you know i'll draw you did you ever <laughs> did you ever when you were younger um kind of do something similar to that where you would kind of you know in your oh. local area advertise your work say hey i draw come check it out well well you know i would you know uh, of course i was uh the, the people around me that saw that I liked to draw and that's kind of all I wanted to do all the time. I didn't have a lot of friends and I had no, uh, uh, sports ability or coordination at all. I, I was just happy to sit and draw by myself most of the time. Uh, but you know, I get asked to do like little flyers or, you know, drawings of their son just for, for fun, you know, or, or, or little things, uh, you know, that were advertising, you know, parties or dances. Uh, around town, I did I, once in a while. I would I would try to sell drawings to my parents. You know, I want. I, w I was so crazy about Disneyland; it drove me crazy. We would go like maybe once every five years. Our family. My my dad was a high school teacher, and you know, so we didn't have a lot of money in the you know to fly out to California every time we felt like it in the middle of Utah. And, and so I was like, I want to go back to Disneyland now, you know, and I, I've got to save some money. Well, it didn't work out so well, but, and, and then when I was in high school, I think uh, like uh, in, and maybe a little bit post high school, I would see these people in malls that were doing caricatures of people. I thought, well, I could do that. I'm pretty good at that. And I, I would keep uh, calling different malls around town. They'd say, well, we've already got somebody doing that, or, oh, we're not really looking for anybody uh, to do anything like that. And, you know, now, of course, you know, if, if they were to ask me, I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm just too busy. To <laughs> Your petty little peanuts. <laughs> no, actually, I wouldn't say that because I love I love doing characters and I still do that whenever I I get a chance. Actually, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, it, w it was funny that, you know, it seems like right up through college, um, you know, I was looking for opportunities. You know, I'd enter contests. You know, Hanna Barbera had a contest for their fledgling network, the Cartoon Network. You know, where you could draw storyboards. And I, you know, for a new idea that you had, and I, I, I got like, I think I got second prize actually, which I, I, I think they maybe sent me like fifty dollars or something like that. It was better than nothing. And then I had another job that I think I was referred by one of my art teachers to do a the cover of a travel guide for the state of utah and i spent gosh i must have spent like a month on it putting all these different references to all the different things in the state of utah putting little jokes and things in. and then they and they paid me seven hundred dollars which you know i think from their point of view was oh we're doing a, a big favor giving all this money to a a, a nameless artist that has no experience and no credentials to speak of but they you know for me it's like dude i, I spent you know I, I that's like a week's pay you know for the kind of work that i'm doing and i spent all this time and they got to have all the rights to you know uh reprinting they like they made posters out of it they made a, a a jigsaw puzzle out of it you know all these things so who knows how, however much money they they got for their their petty 700 dollars. so i i felt kind of a little abused to be honest you know uh and it's just like you know uh, but hey well we'll we'll maybe uh, you know we'll, we'll maybe give you some other jobs to do travel pamphlets for other states in the midwest you know and it was shortly after that that i i got my job uh, well, I, I should say I got the internship at Disney, and then I thought, yeah, well, so long, suckers. I'll never, I'll never have to 
deal with the likes of you again. Well, maybe I did, but you know, at the time it felt like a real victory, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess the message there is, you know, don't give up necessarily right away anyway, <laughs> you know, hang, hang, hang in there, you know, don't, you know, even if things don't work out for you immediately, that doesn't mean you should, you should, it's never going to work out for you. You know, uh, being, being tenacious, uh, is important and I, and timing, I'm sure other people have told you, you know, being in the right place at the right time is almost everything, you know? And so as long as you're, you're prepared for it, you know, you're doing everything you can to, to learn and to, and to get better and be ready to do what you want to do. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, and, and, you know, chances are things will work out. I knew people who made it into the internship with me who had actually tried to get into Disney like seven times. Uh, I, I remember one person actually applied seven different times and, you know, it might have been something where people would say, okay, give up. We've already told you the answer. But the, th but the thing I think that made the difference with them is they, they, they asked for notes. They asked what, what they could do better. And they, they, they addressed those notes and they did things differently. And they, they made it clear that they, they were serious about it and, and that they listened, you know, uh, and, and apply and, and applied whatever feedback that they got. So that by the time, you know, they applied that seventh time, uh, they were seven times better and it was the right time and there was space for them, you know, and so right. they were brought in. So, yeah, yeah, that's really that's really great to hear this this story. Um, uh, when you were when you were younger, you, you of course, uh, Drew, uh, was there any uh, characters that you personally uh, designed, you know, uh, growing, you know, even when you were younger or when even when you were older? Uh, have you ever designed any characters that you've kind of kept, you know, in a, a box over here that you... You know, it's, it's funny that you should ask that. Um, when I was, gosh, I'm going to say I was like maybe seven or eight or so, I, 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 I designed some little monster character with one eye and kind of webbed fingers and toes like a frog. I think I was... I can't remember if I was doing like a little story about Halloween or if I was writing a, a happy Halloween card to somebody. I, I love Halloween. I, I've just always been obsessed with Halloween stuff and ghost stories and that other, uh, you know, all, all things Halloween. And my, when my brother and I were of college age, uh, we became aware when we were both up at, at Utah state at the same time that the, uh, this guy that was doing a cartoon strip for the for the school newspaper was retire. I can't remember if he was retiring. He was graduating. Both, you know. And so there was going to be an opening, and I said, "Paul, we need to make a comic strip. We will be professionals. People will see our hundreds of students from around the world will see our drawings. We'll be famous, you know." And so we we did. Uh, we we said, "Okay, well, what do we do?" What do we do? You know, uh, and I dug out my my little character, which I'd kind of uh, refined and polished a little bit, and I'd enjoyed drawing him. I, I I gave him these kind of big clumpy feet that kind of looked like shoes, and you know, these kind of uh, you know long skinny fingers. It was, it was kind of like an alien version of Mickey Mouse. I I think I was trying to draw him, you know, and um, and then he had this character that he'd come up with in. It was a junior high or high school bingo the surf dog uh who who wore plaid 
shorts and played hacky sack and uh you know kind of kind of had this cool zigzaggy pattern on his on his ears and his his arms and legs and we thought well let's let's just do a strip of these two characters what do we do well we're in college let's do a strip about being in college you know we we're, we're doing it right now we you know and and the funny thing is I, I think at the time they they wanted six or eight strips done so that they could see both so they could see that we could do it but also that they that they had enough that they could run with and give us time to make more strips and and we were worried could we come up with six different jokes you know and the great thing was that college being in college was such fertile ground for comedy and storytelling that that in the end we just wrote down we like filled up the front and the back of a page just of ideas for strips you know that that we could do and then we just picked like the first six ideas that we thought would kind of go together and submit it and we got in and we and we, we got to do the strip so that was kind of fun you know that's something that could have been i mean who knows i mean if i probably would have really tried i probably could have come up with a better character to put into the strip but it seemed to work well enough for what it was you know, uh, I, I thought, if anything, Paul's character, the dog, was more uh, more sophisticated design and everything. But, yeah, we had a lot of fun just kind of putting those characters and having them relive some of our adventures with getting financial aid and dealing with teachers or difficult roommates or student housing or jobs, you know, that you work while you're in college to pay the bills, whatnot. Uh, yeah, so the answer, that, that's a very long way to say yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You mentioned uh, a lot of stories come from college, and I was curious, is there any uh, funny stories or a funny story that you can tell uh, in your experience at college? Oh, I could I could tell stories for hours. I could, I could run out this podcast with stories. I'm trying to think if there's a really, like, a best story one um there was one story where i'm trying to remember all the details it got kind of complicated where my brother a lot of stories deal dealing with dates gone wrong uh you know i mean not not every date went wrong but the the memorable ones the funniest ones i think are where things didn't go as planned um where my brother was on a double date and you know, the girl seemed, I think the girl seemed nice enough that he was paired with. And then at some point, there's a phone call to, and this is I, before people had cell phones. So it was just like a, they were at the, you know, the, I think it was two roommates that were, you know, the, the two girls that doubled up. Uh, and, and, and Paul's day gets a call and it's from, it turns and and the the girl is really flustered while she's talking to this guy and she, and she says, "Oh my gosh, uh, this guy is coming here." And Paul's like, "What are you talking about?" It's like, and and the other girl says, "Oh, it's her fiance." It's like, "Her what?" You know, the, oh my gosh, I totally I I told him I'm not interested, and I I I, I broke up with him, and he won't listen to me. He won't take me seriously, and so uh you know i he says he wants to come over and and try to tell me how why we need to get married so uh i told him that i'm engaged to you now so he would back off but he he that didn't dissuade him and he's he's coming over here, uh, right now he's really angry paul's like what what you know and then and he's there it's like 
Missy, open up, open up. I can hear you're with the, you, you better, you better let me in there or I'm going to get really mad. I'm going to start hurting people, you know? And, uh, and she's like, well, we better let him. Paul's like, no, 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 don't let him in. Don't let him in. And he's banging on the door. And, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, he, he, uh, you know, he, he uh, they let him in against all logic and judgments. And the guy's like, I don't understand what's going on, you know? And, Paul's like, look, I'm not engaged. I just, I've never met this girl before. I barely know her, you know? And they have this long, drawn out, stupid, you know, breakup right there on the day while Paul's just trying to pretend he's not there experiencing all of this, you know? And so uh, he survived, didn't didn't get beat up or shot or anything like that. But yeah, it was, it was, it was more than a little crazy. Uh, and so we made, I think we got like, five or six strips out of that story. It was great, you know, and I, I think we maybe had the, the, the weird girlfriend come, uh, come back and I kind of combined her with another, you know, uh, difficult dating experience I'd had with somebody who was really clingy and, you know, who didn't understand that I wasn't as interested in them as they were in me, you know, and I kind of made it look like them. We, we tried very hard to not base anybody too closely on somebody that might, especially if they were like students at the school, you know, so they might read it and say, hey, is that supposed to be me? Um, well, I should say we did, we, we, we got better at it. The first time we, we had a roommate that both of us shared and we basically just took stuff that he said and did and put it right into the strip. And, and then later said, hey, is this me? And we were like, no, 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 that's totally not. Yeah, it totally was. So that that was stupid, you know. We 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 should have been way. So yeah, after that we're like, okay, we can do stuff, but we have to we have to move stuff around. And because I actually had a girl, the same girl said, this, this kind of reminds me. I mean, it's like, no, no. And I could truthfully tell it's like uh, the, all the details from my brother's experience, failing to say, yeah, but we also made it look like you when I took these other things from you, you know. So. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing like mining comedy and laughs from other people's tragedies and personal failings, right? <laughs> yeah. I love, I love hearing stories. That's why I always enjoy asking those questions. It's kind of like, uh, kind of hear these stories and, um, moving on. So you went to Disney and you, you had this job, like what was going through your mind when you, when they accepted you? Were you surprised? Were you confused? Oh, I was shocked. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was completely shocked. I mean, I, <clears throat> I mean, I was thrilled, but then I guess my next thought is, oh my gosh, am I good? En- I'm not good enough for this, you know? And, and I, and that was actually, I dealt with for something uh, for, for a long time, you know, what they, I guess they call imposter syndrome. It's like, oh, they, they've made a mistake. They, they thought that I can, do these things that I can't. They've 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 accidentally accepted me instead of this other person who really has the qualifications. You know, I'm at any minute now they're going to realize their mistake and I'll be out on my ear. So I felt like, for a lot of the time that I was there, I felt like I had to work harder and later hours and and I really for a lot of the time that I was at Disney, especially I just. Uh, you know, that was my number one, if any, relationship, only relationship going on. You know, I was there day and night, you know, sometimes weekends and just trying to soak up everything I could and and, and look at other people's work and try to get better, um, you know. But it was just amazing, too. I remember the first day 
that they they toured us around the Disney studios. Like I, like uh, we we did the internship in Florida, and so we actually had somebody like take us around Disney World and and get us to the front of the line on the rides. You know, talk about that. And and when I did. Yeah, that so that was cool, and then get you know going and meeting people, animators that I knew about who had you know an, animated some of my very favorite characters, you know, and shaking their hand and telling them how awesome they were, and seeing artwork for movies that were going to come out in a few years, you know, uh, and then we got to do the whole thing all over again in California when I started a, a, as a job as a story artist there. You know, uh, and go, getting to go to the animation research library and realize like we could go any, if, well, and whenever we had time, of course, but anytime we could go, we could see the maquettes that were sculpted for uh, the different movies. We could see original backgrounds for Snow White all the way forward, you know, to the movies that they were working on at the time. You know, we could flip through uh, a scene that had been drawn by Milt Call or Glenn Keane, you know, or Mark Hent. I mean, it really was. I just kind of had to pinch myself like I, I'm getting paid to be here. I would pay so much to be here. This is my job. You know, how many people would love to be doing? I'm not worthy. And, you know, after going through college and feeling like I spent a fortune on art supplies, you know, uh, oil paints and, uh, you know, graphene and, and, and uh, you know, pastels and uh, uh, acrylics and what brush, you know, horsehair brushes and whatnot and, you know, carrying big, uh, portfolios and 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 fishing tackle boxes full of art supplies around to go. They had they had an art supplies office where I could go down and I could order anything, and they would give it to me. You know, I ordered one of those gigantic three hundred marker sets that I drooled over when I was a high schooler. You know, and it was mine. It was mine, and I I just got things that I I didn't even need that I didn't know I would ever ever use. You know, because I could. You know. That, that was about the same time that I discovered eBay and, and found out that all the uh, all the you know the the handful of products that were released when the Nightmare Before Christmas came out when I was still in college that you could have them all for ten times their original price on eBay if you were willing to spend all your spare time bidding on things and so I spent all the money I was making on you know Nightmare Before Christmas dolls and party favors and pillows and other garbage, you know, that I just, cause I thought, wow, this is so, I, you know, basically it was like me being a kid and having, you know, feeding, feeding my, my inner 14 year old with all the money I had then, you know, and eventually I realized, oh, maybe I should save some money in case of a rainy day, but uh, it took a while. <laughs> oh yeah. I definitely get that. That's really, it's really interesting to hear like the whole hiring process, you know, how you got there and what they, you know, what they, they'd they given you. Um, you know, I've only worked at two places. You know, I used to work at McDonald's and for like a year and six months. And so, you know, it's definitely kind of, it's interesting to hear the hiring process just, you know, for Disney. And, you know, they would do all this different stuff. You said um, your first, um, like, project that you worked on, you mentioned before, was uh, Tarzan, correct? Was that your yes. first uh, Disney project? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was promoting Hunchback, but I didn't do anything on the movie. Huh? Although I still got to go to the rap party uh, after. I was just like a handful, one of a handful of people from the tour that got invited to be at the rap party, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, but the, but the first the first movie that I actually contributed 
anything to uh, was Tarzan. And that was another really lucky stroke stroke of luck, you know, because I I, I came on, and uh, and the reason I got the job was that the the, the Kevin Harkey, my mentor, was the co-head of story at the time, and he wanted help you know, getting his sequences done along with all the meetings that he had to go to, you know, and then, you know, extra where he's like working over other people's scenes and doing uh, extra drawings and what I get being, being ahead of story is a lot of work. Um, and so he's like, well, Hey, I, this guy can draw well enough. I can kind of have him work close enough to my style. And, and my first job was on that show was Glenn Keane, who was at the time, he was going back and forth between France and, and California. He was leading a team of animators in France, uh, to, you know, to animate the main character Tarzan there. It's amazing, amazing people over there. Um, and he had, you know, they were still kind of struggling with the story and figuring things out. And he had an idea for this big tent pole scene we, we called in the, in the business, you know, a, a sequence that's kind of in the middle of the movie, where maybe people's interest is kind of sagging is you have a big action sequence to wake them up and you know uh, get them interested in, in what's going on again um and it was a scene where tarzan and jane are running away from a troop of baboons and you know he's swinging through the vines and surfing on the branches you know that was all his idea you have to make tarzan surf like you know kids that he knew skateboarded and uh and, and he came up with this idea that he'd just done like on little uh, post-it notes, you know, uh, his, you know, a couple of inches, if that big, uh, where he goes into this, this uh, where he goes into this maze of vines that kind of turns into a roller coaster almost, where he's turning upside down and doing corkscrews, you know, and then he's doing hand-over-hands uh, loops like a jungle gym. And my mentor, Kevin Harkey, said, look, um, why don't you take a crack at this? I'm super busy doing other things. And so I worked on that for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And then Kevin came through and said, look, okay, just, just do this. <laughs> You're being way too complicated and messy here, you know, to simplify this part. You, this part you did over here is okay, but do it this way, simplify this, change this, you know, and I, and, uh, and it got in the movie, you know, and, and what a lot of what I did was basically taking uh, sequences that other storyboard artists had been working on and trying things for years in some cases and they were running out of time and they needed to wrap it up and put something into the movie so they say here do do this and in some cases they would tell me that how to change the drawings in some cases they said we don't know what bit of business to do here so do that and so there are big swaths of the movie where uh i'm the credited artist that worked on that scene even though many other people worked to get it to that point you know what i mean i mean sometimes i'm even just taking somebody's rough and redrawing it a little bit more cleanly in my style you know i didn't even so like you, if you look at the art of book there's an obscene number of drawings of mine in the book much outsized to my actual contributions but i i thought it was great you know i mean it just made me seem so important and uh, you know, essential <laughs> to the to the film, and I and I, I I like to think that I learned a lot. It was cool because I got to learn to work with a lot of different artists on the movie and see how they drew and you know uh, how they solved problems and things like that. Sitting through that, like sitting through Tarzan, 
what what like what was going through your mind? You're able to kind of see the fruits of your labor, just to see like everybody's everybody's like what they put together. Was this a great opportunity for you? Like just kind of sitting here and did you enjoy? Oh, dude, it was it was awesome. You know, uh, I I I mean, again, because I kind of came on to the tail end of the movie, like in the last you know year or so of development. It was neat because, yeah, like, and especially like in the case of, you know, the first assignment I did with, uh, you know, the baboon chase through the, the jungle. I mean, it was within, I think it was just within a couple of months of finishing that, that we would go to the, the little in-studio movie theater and see dailies. You know, I don't, I think they still do that. I'm, I'm guessing they still do that at Disney, you know, and you'd see you know, the rough, the very rough draw. First you see the story reel, you know, and then you'd see the rough animation. And then, you know, they, they would have, because they were doing CGI branches and vines, sometimes they'd have these little uh, CGI blobs that looked like uh, milk duds that were supposed to represent the, the the baboons hopping up and down chasing Jane. And so like in a, in a relatively short amount of time for this business, I got to see what I'd done end up on the screen. You know, um, that was that was really cool. Uh, that and that's unusual. You know, this business. You know, I it's what what came to happen. The longer I'd been there, is you know, I'd work on a project uh, for you know several months or a year or two or three, and then I'd move on to something else. And it and it might not be until years later that whatever I did you know, that I'd, I'd see that incorporated into the film or, or, see, or you know, I, I just wouldn't have, I'd be too busy on the film I was working on. I wouldn't follow any of the dailies and then I'd just see the finished film. And I'd already been working on one or two other things by that time, you know. Um, the, 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 the most, I think the first most exciting thing, I mean, it was all pretty exciting. I've seen my name on the, the end credits of Tarzan at the very end. It was really cool. You know, I mean, I would say, look, there's my name. I'm, I really, I did it. You know, um, the other the other thing that was really a, a very exciting kind of pinch me in my awake moment was uh, the one of the next projects that I worked on, uh, Home on the Range. I was, uh, you know, a lot of the story people that were working on that film uh we're we're doing uh you know we we wrote a lot of the sequences you know uh that were done at the time and i could tell you a whole long story about that um but as a result you know we were asked to do a lot of scratch voices in other words the temporary voices that are in this when they take the storyboards and make them into a reel you know to kind of you know they're they're adding they're adding just people around the studio to do the voices they're taking temporary music and sound effects you know, and, and then showing it on, uh, you know, on film to make you, you know, to, to, to make you understand better what it's going to be like when it's animated, you know, and so they can decide whether it's working or not and whether they need to make changes. Um, and I was lucky enough, and, and actually another guy uh, who worked on the film, were, were, both of us were lucky enough that they decided to keep our voices in the film. I was these two love-struck Longhorn steers that were trying to make time with the cows who were the main characters, and he got to do the Willie Brothers, who were these characters that he kind of developed and uh, he wrote a lot of the dialogue for. And the first time that I I went onto a shared computer and saw a, the scene that I had storyboarded and done the voices for, and I, and I'm seeing you know 
one of the greatest animators in, in, in the country, if not the world, has, has, has animated to my voice. I mean, that was just surreal. It just, and I, I remember my brother was visiting me at the studio. I was like, what, see this, see this. I haven't seen this yet. I'm like, what, what? My voice is coming out of a Disney character's mouth. And we just play it over and over and over again. You know, I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. You know, I, I just, you know, that was, that was uh, an incredible moment, you know? Uh, yeah, I was watching that scene actually today. I was- Oh, um, really? Yeah, I was like, um, because I, I was in the research, I'm like he did a voice in uh, Home on the. I, I'm like, I want to listen to that. And so I was listening to him, like, it, it sounds like Mark, but it also sounds not like Mark at the same time. And it's like. <laughs> well, I hope it didn't sound too much like me. I mean, both because I, I, I'd like to think I'm a better actor than that, but also I don't. I hope I don't sound like this lecherous, you know, creep. This like, <laughs> hey, maybe we can help each other. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I was like, I was pretty impressed at your like the the how you can change your voice so well. I'm like, that's crazy because not everybody, not anybody, not everybody can do that. Well, that's that, that's kind of you to say. You know, I think I I I admired people as a young age who were you know who could do vo- vocal impressions. You know, and I I, I guess I I put uh, some time into trying to do that practice. You know, there were like little care. You know, I could do a lot of the Muppets voices. Okay, you know, or some you know I could do a pretty passable Darth Vader impression and a few different be like like Ronald Reagan. And and I think um, that. I, I liked acting, you know, I took some acting classes, uh, you know, and I was in a few plays in high school and college, you know, I liked the idea of becoming somebody else and performing. And I think that served me well as a story artist, because I think um, when you do have, even if you don't have the opportunity to write your, the script or the dialogue, I think when you're, when you're, when you're doing the emoting, you know, and the drawings, you know, and you're thinking about, you know, how the, their, their body language and their, their, their facial expressions or whatever. I think if the more you could put your, yourself into the mind of the character, the more uh, honest and believable your acting choices are going to be, you know, hopefully the more interesting they're going to be too. And, and, you know, especially in the old days where we had to get up uh, in front of a big corkboard with all of our drawings pinned up and like, you know, uh, talk about everything that was happening. You know, we're we're doing all the, the the dialogue and the sound effects, if any, and you know, singing. If there's music, you know, if, if you like acting and you're comfortable, you know, performing a little bit, uh, you know, I, then I I think it's all to the better. And I I did like kind of adjusting my voice to be whatever character that I was trying to be like, you know. And so yeah, that's that's kind of how I got to. Uh, do the scratch voices for a, a few different movies. You know, I, I did a lot of scratch that didn't end up in the movie, which was fine. I still really enjoyed doing it, you know. But but yeah, the few times where it did work out that way was was pretty cool for me. Right. I'm not sure if this was your uh, second uh, voice work. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything in between. Uh, Chicken Little, Goosey Lucy. That was my second job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I probably had done some scratch for no, 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 no. Sorry, I no. I went. I probably went straight to that. I had done some scratch for a movie that never got made before Home on the Range. You know, that's a whole. You could do a whole other podcast about wildlife. <laughs> you know, that, that's that's a, that's a story and a half. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah, but right, right from home on the range, I, I think I went on to working on chicken little and, and, uh, shortly after I started storyboarding, they, they asked me if I wanted to do the, uh, 
basically I wasn't I wasn't really the credited voice at the time. It was Katie Finneran who has done some TV work. I I don't know her as well as I should. Uh, but but she had a lot more dialogue, and I was just going to do the sounds when she became a a berserker, rage fueled fighting machine. You know, like like I seems like like uh, Fox Luxy would snap her fingers and make her go crazy. You know, and so I was just doing crazy animal noises mixed with kung fu sounds and what have you. But they ended up uh cutting more and more of her dialogue down, uh, and so in the end, I think she had. I think Katie did a noise, like a noise for her, something like that. And that was the only part she, so I became the default voice of the character, which was kind of crazy. Right. And uh, you mentioned um, wildlife. And when I was, when I was looking into your portfolio, I, I misread it as the wild, which I thought it was referring to the 2006 uh, Disney, you know, animated movie, the right. wild, but I'm like, Oh wait, yeah. no, it's the wild, it's wildlife. That's why I was like, Oh yeah. 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 That, that's an understandable mistake. I, th- I think another movie ended up coming out also called Wildlife, and I don't remember who who made it exactly. But yeah, your 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 confusion is understandable. You know, that's yeah. That was that that that's a whole other story about how Disney was trying to take these small studios and kind of say, well, we don't need Pixar. We'll we'll make our own movies with CGI on the cheap without Pixar. They'll be great. They'll be very successful, and they weren't total, total disaster. You know, uh, it, it, you know, it was interesting. They they actually had the opportunity to buy. Uh, I can't remember if they were if they were just going to get the distribution rights for Ice Age, or if they were actually offered the chance to buy the studio. And at the time, they said, "No, we don't. We don't need. We can do better than this movie." No. I say, what is this? This looks so unprofessional. You know, we can we can do better than that. You know, four four sequels and billions of dollars later, you know, I think people looked at the head of the studio at the time and said, "You're an idiot. What were you thinking? You know, we could have had all that money by now." You know, um, and then and then of course in the end they ended up buying the studio out anyway, and now they own all the all the rights to all the characters. So I, I guess it all worked out. Didn't didn't really help that executive that made those choices beginning but you know i guess i was curious to ask um because i was like i also know that you did uh goosey lucy in the video game as well i'm not sure if they reused some of the uh, old clips or i i think it, i could be wrong i don't have the best memory but i think they just reused uh stuff from the movie right uh, to be in the, i mean they might they might have had me do one or two noises i i think i gave them enough coverage and it was non-specific enough you know, <laughs> that they could just they could just plunk it in there i did have to do a lot more for rhino you know oh yeah right? and I, and I, you know there were like days of you know extra dialogue and grunts and screams and groans and laughs and titters <laughs> and whatnot you know that i had to do uh for that but but i was i was well compensated for yeah. it yeah so it's all good and it was a lot of fun right I know listening through the video game, uh, I could hear a lot of the you, your voice a lot more than in the movie. Um, I was oh, kinda, yeah? Yeah, I was kind of curious. Slipped. I was slipping, huh? <laughs> yeah, no. I was curious. how it wore me down. Yeah. How were you able to make that voice? And I was also going to ask with that, Goosey Lucy, I was watching the movie as well. Goosey Lucy doesn't really say a lot or doesn't even actually say anything like words and sentences. And I was going to ask you, like, what do you think Goosey Lucy would sound like if Goosey Lucy was able to speak? <laughs> I, I just, I'm not even sure. 
I honestly have a really difficult time imagining Goosey Lucy speaking. She just seems like this kind of primal rage monster to me. You know, I, I, I'm not sure she has coherent <laughs> thoughts that she would express or, or would want to express. I don't know. You got to give me some time to think about that one, man. That's just, that's, that's kind of blowing my mind right now. You know, Goosey Lucy talks i i i don't know i don't know i think i think it'd be a little cut along the lines of kill destroy <laughs> die die kill ruin maim tear burn you know? now, now i'm kind of sounding like rhino again. i yeah, know I'm playing, maybe i'm just playing the same character over and over again you know with just a slightly different voice you know i i, I don't know yeah um but uh but you you were asking how i did rhino well you know, it, it's funny. I I have tremendous respect for some of the, the the really great voice actors in this business who can sound like anybody. You know, they can they can imitate almost any celebrity or or public figure, living or dead, that you've ever heard of if they know what they sound like. You know, and you know, men and women, children, old people. A lot of them can sing, you know, and 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 on top of all that, they're fantastic actors, you know. Uh, for me, in spite of my my amateurish uh, attempts at, at uh, imitation, you know, I uh, I think if if I'm good at anything, it's it's maybe getting into the side of the mind of a character, and you know, and, and, and imagining how they feel and what they think, and I think that's sort of, like I said, I think that's. I, I'm good enough at that to do a pretty good job uh, at storyboarding that kind of stuff. Um, when when I was asked to do Rhino, it's funny I tried a few different interests, what I thought were like what a hamster would sound like, and then, and right away they said, no, no, you know, don't don't try to do a voice, just be yourself. You know, we're we're having you do it because we think you're funny. You know, like your voice, the way it is. Uh, is is already funny enough, you know. Just just worry about the acting part of it. Don't don't worry about changing your voice to sound like whatever you think uh, Rhino is, which we, you know made it a lot easier, of course, uh, for me. Um, you know, I think part of it was also the idea that well, we don't need to make him do anything too difficult because we're, we're all gonna this is all gonna be replaced by a professional actor and or comedian anyway, you know. Uh, this is all just for us at the studio here to, you know, to get a giggle out of the people who know Mark. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, basically the hardest thing for me doing Rhino, uh, and, you know, and they did, they did a lot, you know, a lot of times the director would come into the recording booth with me and talk through the scene. Sometimes they'd actually even bring in the storyboards or a few of them to see what Rhino was doing and what his facial expressions, uh, kind of what they they were hoping for, so I could kind of get into character better. You know, sometimes the director would read, you know, Bolt's lines back to me, so it would be become more conversational. You know, the, the one of the hardest things for any uh, voice actor, at least in this country, is that typically you, all of our lines are, are recorded in isolation. You know, we're not. You know, uh, there's a few movies, but not very many American movies where uh, two actors will actually record with one another. You know, but usually it's all you each actor just records all the lines that they have in the movie at that time by themselves. Lots of different ways, you know, quiet, soft, you know, sad, angry, fast, slow, what have you, you know, emphasizing different parts of, of the, the sentence or, or, or whatever. And from there, 
you know, and, and part of that, I mean, it, a lot of it is that, you know, not every actor is going to be available at the same time. They'll come up with ideas that may only change one of the characters' lines of dialogue. You know, uh, different actors live in different parts of the country. You know, uh, John Travolta, I think, was living in Florida at the time that we were doing Bolt. You know, uh, Dame, Dame Judi Dench is in Britain, you know, and her lines were recorded there at a studio remotely, I think. Um, when she was doing the cow and the home on the range, you know, uh, and so it's just the the editor and the the director or directors sometimes the head of story who have a very clear idea of how it's all going to work together as they're recording each separate person, and so they can kind of get enough coverage from everybody and then mix them together. And sometimes it's a matter of you know, I, I know with me, there were times where they like took the beginning of one take that I had done and the end of another take to create the perfect performance that didn't actually exist. And, you know, but if, if they do it so seamlessly, you can't tell. And it, and it really sounds like everybody's really in the room talking to each other at the same time. It sound, sounds much more spontaneous and, and uh, natural <laughs> than, uh, than the circumstances would allow for. Uh, you know, TV is a different animal where they often have the entire cast recording everything together. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, the storyboards actually are, are they're drawing the storyboards to those vocal performances that are already recorded. You know, it's, it's a very accelerated time schedule. You know, they're, they're like, okay, write the script this week. Okay, uh, record the script uh, in, in three days. Okay, here's story artists. You're going to draw this and you've got to do everything really clearly and precisely because this is going to be shipped straight to Taiwan where they're going to start animating it, you know, and, uh, you know, it'll be used as the layout stage or whatever. So, yeah, we, we, have a, we have the luxury in feature animation usually of, of try, doing a lot of trial and error, you know, before we arrive at the final the final product, you know, less so if they make big changes towards the end of the process, which seems to be more of the norm at a lot of the big studios these days. But still, you know, uh, they 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 try, you know, the, you know, they try to exhaust uh, their options before committing to anything, you know, and make sure that that's, they, they try to make sure that that's what they want to do if they if they could do it. Um, so, I mean, that's a little difficult by itself, uh, the, you know, but the other the other difficult thing for me was just honestly um, speaking, enunciating clearly, speaking a little bit more quickly than I normally would. You know, uh, you know, a lot of times they'd say, that was great. Can you do it twice as fast as that? <laughs> and, and a little more loudly and don't breathe heavily into the microphone, you know? So I, I, I like to think that Rhino was basically me just a little bit more articulate and maybe a little bit more excited and high energy uh that i that i am on a, a given day you know whereas uh, rhino is like kind of you know super hyper all the time you know uh but yeah yeah i mean i i still i think that you know his headspace or what he's doing or thinking about probably does stuff to the, my voice that i'm not even aware of you know i might i might be speaking a little bit at a higher pitch just because i'm excited 
you know, in a lot of the, in a lot of the lines, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not going out of my way to change my voice. I'm just trying to think of, well, how does Rhino feel and how would he say these things? I guess more than anything. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier how a lot of the times people aren't in the studio together uh, doing, you know, the recordings. And I was listening to a Disney uh, interview a while ago. I actually was always wondering about if you ever met your co-stars and it actually answered the question in there. But I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about that. It was an interview you were talking about your experience working on Bolt um on this disney podcast like with like disney stuff and you mentioned how you actually like you didn't actually meet them a lot um and i wanted to kind of hear about that like um you talked a lot about the when you interact with miley cyrus um but john travolta, oh, did I tell you? yeah <laughs> yeah with john travolta what was that about i don't know where uh, that dude, was. dude i i i think i said hi to john travolta and he nodded at me and that was about it really you know? as the interaction I had I shared a stage with him the day of the uh, of, of the premiere you know when they had the you know before the movie actually was released to theaters you know when they had the premiere that all the stars and the you know the directors and everybody uh, came to with their friends and where uh, where where or John Lasseter started telling the story of how I was cast and John, it's funny because John Falls said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, I heard about this. You, you, the, how you got the West? Tell this story, you know." And he seemed, he seemed genuinely interested and mm-hmm. in smile and smiling about it, you know. And, and they told the story, and he was smiling and laughing. But after that, it's like, yeah, I, I just I bumped into him, and I don't know. I'm sure he was incredibly preoccupied. Oh yeah, you know, a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, he 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 was not going out of his way to say, "Hey, it's a pleasure to meet you." <laughs> <Great."> <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah. maybe, he, maybe he thought he'd, you know, he'd given me high enough praise there on stage already, but it's fine. Yeah. You know? And there was like no uh, pictures. I, I couldn't find any pictures of you with the others. That's the thing. No. Yeah, there's no. None. I, I, will, I will say I, I heard that I, I, Miley Cyrus did have her publicist take a snap a cell phone photo. I, I saw it, but, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's floating around on the Internet somewhere. And I, I did. Uh, I was in a in a room with Susie Essman, you know, the voice of Mittens, the cat, for like an hour, we were signing posters for different charities and causes. And then I did a tour with her for a couple of days in Toronto. Uh, it was Toronto, was it, shoot, it was either Toronto or Ontario. I want to say it was Toronto. I could be wrong. Uh, where where we, we did some radio interviews and some newspaper interviews she she is really nice she seemed like a really cool person and i i felt bad because uh i didn't really know who she was you know i i, I mean i i i heard she she kind of said yeah i'm a susie essman you know like i met her it's like oh who are you and it's like i'm, I'm your co-star susie essman i was you know on curb your enthusiasm for several seasons on hbo I was like, oh right i'd never watched curb your enthusiasm you know but and, and i know larry david and these other people who were famous for for being on it, you know, uh, and she's she's a great, obviously a great actress. Um, is she, if anybody else, I'll tell you, it's a real testament to both her and John Travolta that you like Bolt and Mittens as much as you do, and that you're rooting for them and care about them because they are very difficult characters to like. You know, they they do and say things that are really unpleasant and abrasive. You know. Uh, you know, Bolt is terrible to Mittens, you know, and he's completely delusional, you know, it doesn't really know what's going on, and, and he acts as if he does, which could be really obnoxious, you know, and then Mittens, of course, is just really angry and bitter and mean and cynical, 
you know, because she's had a terrible life, you know, and so the, the fact that you you like and care about those characters and are willing to see them come around and have this this tremendous growth, you know, that that's that those are those are real yeah. actors, you know, whatever else you want to say about them. I think they they earned their paychecks on that movie. You know, all I had to do was be silly and crazy and, and goofy, you know, which is pretty easy, you know, especially with the way the characters written and, and, and animated to look even funnier. You know? Yeah. Yeah, listening to that podcast as well, I, I think what was really funny was hearing your interaction with, um, I believe it was Malcolm McDowell. Um, oh, yes. did I tell about that? Yes. That was yeah. hilarious. That must yeah. have been so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, basically, you know, Malcolm and Susie Essman were the actors on that show that I had the most meaningful interactions with, you know, and then I, I got a lot of mileage out of that that, that story. But, I mean, do you want me to tell the sure. story? Sure. Well, so basically, we, you know, I mean, it's this huge deal to have been invited to the premiere anyway, you know, and I get to rent out this, this, this stretch Humvee limo, uh, you know, and I, I get a lot of my, my, all of my family from Salt Lake, Utah to, to come and ride in the limo and a couple of friends that kind of begged their way into uh, the limo uh, in Los Angeles with me. Uh, you know, when and we go on the red carpet and my girlfriend at the time we later became my wife and people are, you know, snapping pictures of us and asking us questions as if we're really uh, important. And then we get into the, the, you know, the El Capitan Theater, which is, you know, this, this really old movie palace in Los Angeles where they've, they've gone out of their way to restore it to its former glory. And, you know, they, they have the, the people in the red you know, gold buttoned outfits with the little pillbox hats that are, you know, offering you popcorn and drinks. My mom thinks this is so cool. And uh, as we're going to the theater where my mom's going to make such a big deal about the Wurlitzer organ that's going to rise out of the floor and somebody's going to play, you know, a, a melody, a medley of Disney classics and people are going to come on stage and dance in the, in the Disneyland character costumes. But before we can go in, this guy, uh, says, excuse me, uh, Mr. Walton, uh, Mr. McDowell would like to have a word with you. I, uh, okay. And I'm, and my, my, my family's like, well, we're going into the theater. We know it's like, well, this is important. You know, I, I don't know if he's gonna, what does he want with me? Is he going to, is he angry with me? It seemed very serious, you know? And, and so he kind of pulls me aside and, and Malcolm McDowell comes to me and says, you Boston, you, you bloody bastard. Look at you. You're not even a professional actor and you, you bloody stole the show away from all of us. You blooming bastard. You really did it, didn't you? You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm being cursed at by Malcolm McDowell, you know, clockwork orange hero, you know, a million projects in between all those, you know, you know, you know and then, yeah, I, I thought I, if I get run over tomorrow, it's okay. You know, I can say this happened to me, you know, I, I hope I have to write down my journal before something happens to me, you know, so people know how, how meaningful my life has just barely become, you know, it's like that Rhino line was uh, basically says, it's just, just that every moment spent in your presence is the new most important moment of my life, you know, <laughs> probably getting it wrong, but you know, I've got, I've got the, essence, the, the essence there, hopefully, you know, but they really, yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty cool. That was pretty memorable, I have to say. Yeah, I love that story. And I was also curious, um, with all your other projects, did you meet, um, even if you were just doing the storyboard art and the visual development, 
did you ever have the opportunity to um, meet uh, any uh, other actors um, in the in the projects you've worked with? You know, a few. I'm sorry to say most of the time what happened is I missed opportunities because um, there were several times when I'd be talking with the security guards or the receptionist in the lobby of the Disney studio and somebody would be right next to me and having some conversation with somebody there and they'd leave and then and, and somebody would say, you know, that was Tia Carrera, right? I was like, what? No, that was... That was her, you know, because she was doing stuff for Lilo and Stitch, you know, the older sister, uh, Nani, I think. Um, and, or they'd say, or we'd be, we'd, I remember there was a time at Disneyland with a friend and we were on the, the uh, Indiana Jones ride. And uh, somebody said, you know, Jennifer Garner, and, and they got on their phone and said, oh my gosh, Jennifer Garner was sitting right next to us. She was driving the vehicle. I was like, she was? What? You know, I just, I don't expect I don't, you know, I, I, sh I guess I should have expected to see famous people and been, uh, you know, been on the lookout for them, or I, I don't know, they didn't look enough like I expect. I don't know. I don't know, you know, but, but yeah, that happened over and over again. You know, somebody would say, you know who that was, right? And I was like, no, who was it? It's like, dang it, I could have, you know. Uh, there was one time I went to a, a, a Gorillaz concert at a theater in downtown LA and I, I just kind of went there on a lark. You know, I felt like I read it in the newspaper that day. It's like, oh, I probably won't even get a ticket, but why not? I have nothing better to do. And then I was like, somebody scalped a ticket and I was able to get in for even less than I think it was supposed to be. And it was a weird thing. I don't know if you know who the gorillas are, you know, it's kind of this, for your listeners who may not know who they are, it's kind of, you know, if you, if you know about Cal Arts, where you have musicians and animators and actors all going to school at the same time, it'd be like, uh, a dream project for uh, classmates, you know, they'd all get together and create a band out of nothing, you know, well, not out of nothing, but, you know, they, they would get, they got professional singers and rappers and musicians. And then, you know, they, they got the, uh, the designer, uh, the designer to design the characters. And, you know, you got uh, Robert Valley, you know, who also did some design work and animation for it, you know, and they, they, they fabricate these, this band, you know, out of all these desperate elements. But for the for the performance, they basically had uh, a curtain around the stage in the middle of this auditorium and then a little video screen that they were playing the videos while the band, we could see them silhouetted with some colored lights behind this curtain, you know, but just their shadows. And, and people just sat there and stood. And I was like, this is terrible. You know, like, uh, you know, it was such, such a, a lousy presentation and then then later they went on to do things where they, they'd have like holograms of of cgi holograms of the characters or even puppets of the characters that would perform live on stage you know but this time this is the best they could do i guess you know at least in this in this venue and i also thought it was crummy that nobody was dancing because it was great music you know and so I, well i'm gonna dance if nobody else dances and and before i knew it this this huge circle had cleared around me because really I was the only person interested in dancing. And by the end of it, like the people I actually came with, I actually met some friends there by happenstance and they had put a lot of distance between themselves and me because I was being so crazy. And by the end of it, this woman comes up and says, oh my gosh, you're a, you're a dancing God. You're amazing. How do you do it? Can I take lessons? Where, where will I see you again? So, I don't know. It's like, I just want to tell you, I worship you. I love you. And there's this guy that's on her arm that does not look happy at all, you know, that I'm getting all this attention. 
And, and, and so she walks off with this guy and, and I turn to my friends who have kind of worked their way back to me. And I said, Hey, that, that kind of looked like uh, Rosanna, Rosanna Arquette and, and the guy and the guy goes, dude, that was Patricia Arquette. And, you know, she called you a, a dancing God. I said, I could have gotten her number. I could have done something, man. You know, uh, you know, she, she's gorgeous, you know, you know, so talented and everything. Well, it turned out that she got like, I think it was like five days later, she got engaged with the guy that she was with. So maybe it's just as well that I didn't, I didn't complicate things <laughs> like, like I could, you know, but it's, it's a nice, it's a nice thought. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of missed opportunities like that because I just wasn't paying attention or I didn't recognize people. I did. Who, I'm trying to think of the people. I mean, you know, Miley Cyrus is probably the one that most other people would get excited about, you know, because she's she's kind of a big, she's still kind of a big deal. It certainly was at the time. Um, yeah. yeah, and and uh, she was very nice to me, I have to say. Um, I It meant a lot to me that I ran into Weird Al Yankovic. Let's go! Uh, Weird Al is the best! Very, very briefly. He, I, I just have loved Weird Al since I was like... 14 15 you know and and by the time i finally got to see him live in concert when i was living in los angeles i thought i could you know i didn't think i could worship him anymore and he's, he's the the he puts on the best show mm -hmm. i mean we went to a concert you know. one time too before pandemic it was a, the, oh yeah did you oh, lucky you lucky you you know and did, did he do all the costume changes and sets yes and it was the orchestra it was the orchestra one that he was doing the tour oh, it was the best you really you really saw all the bells and whistles <laughs> um yeah yeah just uh, he loves his fans he treats them so well um but he was there because he was auditioning i don't i, I don't know if he was auditioning or, or, or if they were seriously courting him to do dialogue for the uh, the robot and meet the robinsons you know and they they ended up going with uh harlan wilson i can't remember his uh, he, he was fine he was, he was very good honestly i think i think weird al would have probably made a better rhino than i would have you know that's a very similar you know take that i think he's he's done in, in some of his characters before but yeah he he took the time and i I just told him how awesome he was, and how sorry, like his his parents had died in a fire just, just very recently, or seemed like it was very recently, and you know, and he was saying like, well, you know, what's helped me through this is the fans, you know, I'm performing and people just giving so much love back to me, and I thought, wow, this guy is so awesome, you know, uh, yeah, so that was a big deal, and uh, I I happened to meet. Uh, Miriam Margulies. I don't know if you would know who she is. She uh, she's done a lot, probably a lot of stuff that I don't even know about. Uh, she was in a very old. Uh, oh, Miriam. She British Australian actor. Um, yeah, yeah. I, but she was in a very old TV production of A Little Princess, where she was the the somewhat nicer uh, sister of uh, Miss Minchin. You know, was in charge of school for girls that treats the main character sarah to sarah so terribly but then she uh she was aunt sponge in james and the giant peach as well as the cats and dogs as well i think yeah what, what was that cats and dogs i i recognize her from cats and dogs she was oh I, I see i didn't even know she was in cats and dogs she was you know she was fly the 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 the, the motherly sheep dog and babe you know she's just done tons and tons of stuff super versatile you know fantastic actress and she was auditioning was she auditioning for the, i'm trying to think if she was auditioning for the part of the, the witch 
uh, or the, the character that was like the witch in Rapunzel Unbraided at the time. That was a really crazy version of Rapunzel we were doing where two kids got pulled out of the real world in San Francisco and were forced to play the parts of Rapunzel and the prince and the, the real Rapunzel and the prince were turned into a dog and a squirrel and like the storytelling god and the the wicked witch had a deal you know as to whether the the story would end happily if you had real people enacting the the parts you know and there were songs and the dog and the squirrel sang a love duet and danced like gene kelly and uh, uh who, whoever else you know it was it was it was wild but it was cool because a lot of really amazing actors came in and like did a reading of the script just because we were doing this version of the uh of the story uh so i got to you know be in the same room with a lot of them even if i didn't talk to a lot of them oh oh uh because of that same project, uh, actually, uh, great. Now I can't think of her name, even though she's completely amazing. Um, you know, Galinda, the good witch in kids, uh, uh, you know, she was also Easter in American gods and why can't I think of her name? You know who I'm talking about that. Un unbelievably famous singer and uh, per performer and voice actress. She was going to be the voice of of this. Oh, Kristen, Chris Kristen Chenoweth. Thank yeah, you. she was in uh, Pushing Daisies. My my parents yes. introduced me to that a while yes. ago. Yes, she's in Pushing Daisies. That's right. That's right. Yeah, one of the better parts of that uh, short-lived series. Uh, yeah, but she because she was in a few scenes that I was working on, I actually got to meet a tiny person, you know, even even tinier than she appears on screen. But yeah, super nice, super friendly. Oh, uh, uh, Carla Gugino came into the studio once and I just, she exchanged a few quick pleasantries. I'm not sure why she was there you know uh probably maybe it was something she was trying out for or, you know maybe she just wanted a tour with uh you know because she was you know doing something for the live action part of it uh, oh oh um uh you know, john uh john heater you know uh napoleon dynamite uh came into the studio you know yeah yeah they they were talking yeah, he, they were talking about him. I could do a whole John. He, I'll, I'll try. I'll try to make it fast. So, um, I Napoleon Dynamite comes out, and before I even see the movie, I see pictures of the movie poster, and I get calls from everybody in my family. It's like, dude, this is you in high school. Look, he's got the same hair, the glasses, the moon boots, the 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 reddish brown uh corduroy suit that you had you know he's he's like you know he, he's completely clueless socially and you know he likes to dance like a maniac he's he's you man and so for halloween uh the, the movie comes right out right around halloween and and, and i and i i see the movie and i'm like holy crap it is me you know and so i shaved my beard off i had a wig i got a my my brother actually sent me a curly wig you know, I had a little bit more hair than I do now, uh, but but still, you know, there, so it was so basically it was like my hair was when I was in high school, all my, maybe even a little bit curlier. And and for the rest of the day and I and he got me a vote for Pedro T-shirt. And so I just wandered around 
I had a I had a fanny pack with tater tots that I was reheating throughout the day to offer to people like want a tot, you know. And so I just was Napoleon Dynamite. And here's the funny thing: um, some of the people who had seen the movie thought, "Oh my gosh, it's him!" You know, and they would actually, they actually like played music and got me to do the dance and everything. And they'd say, "What are you going to do now, Napoleon's Like whatever I want, dang it, you know. Um, or they had not seen the movie and they had no idea who I was supposed to be. But the great thing is that I would say 80% of the people who saw me had no idea who I was, you know, like they didn't know it was me. In other words, you know, they just thought it was some strange weirdo wandering around the studio, you know, possibly because you know, I looked so different with hair and, and no beard, but also I, I was really committed, you know, doing the boy, the, the face, you know, puffing my lips. I'm like, Oh, what? my lips hurt real bad you know and and then and the funny thing was like it, sometimes it was like weeks later my co-workers would come back and say oh my gosh i saw the movie you were perfect you know and then and then like some people came back the next day and said i talked to you for like an hour and i didn't know it was you mark you know that was crazy that was crazy and and uh, the and the terrible thing was it's either great or terrible so like when i came home with my roommates I couldn't turn it off, you know, like I, 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 I felt like I needed to stop talking like him and doing the face and the, the half-lit face, but I, I couldn't, like it wasn't until I went to sleep that night I could, you know, get out of character, you know. Oh, and I did go to a video store, that was right, we went to a, I went to a, a, a dance, where it was like a Halloween themed dance and, and I got best costume and best something else. And then we were driving by a, a uh, a blockbuster video. Remember those? Oh yeah, we had. Ever. Yeah, we they had, had one here in my city. Some of those up your way. Yeah, back, we had one like here in my city. And... We went there one time. I was able to experience it, and I'm very happy. Oh, dude, I'll tell you, man. I spent a lot of time in Blockbuster. You know, over over the years, that was that was a that was that was a whole age that I'm sad to see gone now. But uh, but I came in in my costume. I said, dude. Do you guys have a Napoleon Dynamite on video? And like, uh, no, it hasn't come out. It's like, dang it! And I kicked the door open. Gosh, God, you know. And then, and then, and then, one of the guy, one of the girls, runs out. And says, "You're him! You're him! You're Napoleon Dynamite!" You know. And I'm like, oh, not really, you know. But he's pretty awesome, though. I've got some acting skills, you know. So, but yeah, but that was pretty exciting. You know, anyway, so yeah, so having John Heater and his twin brother, who looks exactly like him, who wanted to be an animator, that's why they were at the studio, you know, because you know he wanted to work for Disney, and and John Heater was famous at that point, you know, and so and it turned out we we ended up being in the same, uh, uh, going to the same church, you know, in the same ward together. He, him, and his brother and me for a couple of years, so I would see them and say hi to them from time to time. But yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Macaulay Tucker Show, and thank you to our guest for coming on to the show. Part two of this episode of the Macaulay Tucker Show will be releasing next week. Be sure to keep your eye out for that. Also, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you so much, and you have a good one.